Hello and welcome back to our daily podcast. I really missed speaking with you all and spending every every day with you. But well, we are back. And this time we're going to do the book of Acts. But why? Let's deal first with why I still want to continue doing the podcast. Well, the vision for our church and I think personal vision for almost all of us is that we know Christ and we make him known. Because knowing Christ makes all the difference in our lives. It changes our worldview, our perspective of things. It changes the way we look at people, changes the way we look at our situation. There may be times when others may think that we are going through a very painful situation, but because we have the mind and the heart of Christ, we may be able to celebrate because we realize that it is there are opportunities and they, they, these are good things. On the other hand, there may be times when the world may, may celebrate and say that these are good things, but having the mind and heart of Christ, we may realize that the things that are happening may not be as good as the world thinks, and therefore we mourn. In a sense, we march to a different beat. We do not conform to what others say. We allow the words of Christ, the life of Christ, and most of all, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to guide the way we think, the things we say, and the way we live our lives. And then it guides the way we see things also. And so it is so important that we know Christ. But how then, the question then is, how then do we know Christ? Obviously, the first thing is to know what Christ did, what Christ said, the things that God stands for, the things that God wants to tell us about himself through the Bible. We can talk all about relating to someone, but if we don't take time to know that person, there is no way we can relate to that person. Imagine you, I wanted to know about you, I wanted to know you and develop a relationship with one of you. But I'm not interested in hearing your story. I'm not interested in anything that you say about yourself. All I'm interested in is talking, talking about me, talking about things, but never about finding out about you. No relationship can be built that way. Likewise then, unless we take time to let God tell us about himself, we cannot develop a relationship with Jesus. Why then every day? Well, I believe that every day is an opportunity to know Christ. If we were to begin the day with the words of Christ or the words of the Bible, and then spend the rest of the day allowing these words to teach us, to guide us, to shape us, then that day will be a different day and we learn more about Christ and we grow in our relationship with Him. But there's another reason you see, we are forgetful people. For six weeks, I didn't have the podcast. I wonder whether you were very disciplined in reading as I had instructed one chapter a day on the book of Acts, or whether you did your own quiet time, but you were diligent in spending every day with God in some way or other. Or were you more like me, sporadic? One day read Bible, two days don't read, and then another three days, read a bit more, and then on and off. Now, if that was the case, 
then I would ask the next question. On the days that you did not read the Bible, did you spend time thinking about God? Were there words of God, teachings of God that were reverberating, going round in your mind? My, now, my suspicion is this, that whenever there is a vacuum, whenever God's word is not in our minds, we think about a lot of things, other things. The Bible tells us, set our minds on things above and not the things below. But the moment we stop thinking about God, that vacuum in our minds are quickly, very quickly filled by other thoughts. Jealous thoughts, bitter thoughts, dishonest thoughts, lustful thoughts, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of resentment, calculative thoughts, all sorts of thoughts, many of which may not be good, begin to flood our minds. And so I believe that every day we should start the day allowing thoughts of God to dominate our minds and then continue to pervade throughout the day. This exercise then is as much for myself as it is for those of you who listen, because then it allows us together to fill our minds with thoughts of God so that throughout the day our perspectives may be shaped by the thoughts and the heart of God. Now there's, of course, one more reason. Some of you think that because you're active in church, that's good enough. You can think of God while you're doing church work. Well, let me tell you that that is so far from the truth. And I should know. I sleep church, I wake church, I eat church, I walk church. Church is my life. I work in church. And so every day I think about the things that are happening in church, the things that I should be doing in church, the things that the church should be doing, etc., etc. And let me tell you that I could be thinking of church every day and not think of God one, one time at all. You see, church and God could be very related, or they could be very, very unrelated. We could be doing everything with church and not spend a single moment thinking of God. And so we need to spend time listening or reading the Word of God and then thinking about God. Now the other thing that I will consistently do as we go through this study of Acts is that I will read the entire passage. I've assigned one chapter to reflect on every day. And some of these chapters are really very long. But I'm not going to take a shortcut and read excerpts. I want to read the entire chapter every day. And I hope then that you will bear with me because it is very tempting to just listen. Well, I wonder what the preacher is going to say. And so we fast forward, we skip the whole passage. And then we sit down and say, let's listen to what Ming Li says. I do that very often as I read books too. I skip those parts with italics that quote Bible verses because I'm so eager to read about what the writer says. But I encourage you not to do that. Instead, spend time together with me as I read the passage, that you listen to the passage, because these are God's words. And as God relates His words to us, the Holy Spirit will take these words and guide us and bring them back to our consciousness. So even when you forget the things that I say, you need, you can remember because the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the things that God says. And so in every podcast, even if it takes a long time, 
let's take time to listen to what the Bible says in that chapter. Okay, so that's now the expectations, the introduction. Now then, to chapter 1 of Acts. Now I've entitled chapter 1, Introduction, as well. It begins with Luke writing the purpose for his for this book. Before I do that, then let us read the whole chapter. Before that, let us pray. Father, speak your truth to us, that even as we read and we listen to your word, that you bring the truths into our hearts and our minds, that not only will we listen for a moment and then leave forgetting, but that these words will be like a mirror to us, allowing us to see what we are like and what you are like, and then transforming us along the way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1 In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, lifted, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these who won the cord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. 
So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go on to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this was Luke's introduction to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He begins by explaining why he was writing this, that he wanted a good account, an honest account of what had happened and what had happened after Jesus had gone back to heaven. But the last words that he quoted from Jesus, some of which were, in verse 4, that says, He ordered them to depart, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. First of all, Jesus said that this was far greater than any other baptism, any other thing that happened. John baptized the water. The baptism of John was for repentance for anyone who knew and acknowledged their sin and therefore wanted to give up their old life. It was their initiative. They started it. They would go to God and say, I want to be baptized. Now cleanse me. But the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, was not a response from man, but a promise from the Father. He would be given to everyone who believed. Holy Spirit is a promise of the Father. Think of it, it is something that the Father promises to give everyone who believes that Christ died and that Christ has risen. There are no exceptions. As we see later in the book of Acts, that everyone who believed received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is faithful to his promise. He always keeps his promise. And if he has promised the Holy Spirit to anyone who believes, then he gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes. And so, sometimes we agonize over how we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, how we can receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we even have atmosphere, we have the environment, we create the environment, we switch off lights, we sing nice songs and we sway and we, and we want to feel our hair stand and we want to feel things, the Spirit coming. But that's not necessary at all because outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is promised by God to everyone who believes. That's the assurance that we all have. In case you wonder whether you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, whether you will be bypassed by the Holy Spirit, remember this again, that this is the promise of the Father to all who believe. You will receive the Holy Spirit when you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now then, after this, well, what then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you an analogy like this, or an explanation like this. In the Old Testament, God was the creator. God was above them. It was 
God above us, God over us. God was the protector, he was the shelter, he was the foundation, but he was always high above humanity. The people could not speak with God directly. They had to speak through the priests. Sometimes God would speak to them through the prophets when the priests failed in their duties. But everything was done through an intermediary, through a priest. God was too far out. They could trust God, they could depend on God to protect them, to lead them. But it could not, they could not depend on God to do that personally because he was over them. He was big and sovereign. And God still is that way. But God revealed himself a little more in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus then, it was God with us. It was God who came and became man and God dwelt with mankind. If people needed to know what God was like, they had to look at they just had to look at Jesus. If Jesus showed compassion, then they would know that this sovereign almighty God is also kind and compassionate and gentle. If they saw that Jesus would heal, they also knew that this great God would heal. When they saw that Jesus suffered, suffered greatly, they knew too that out of love for us, God Almighty was suffering deep in his heart for us, for our sin. And so we saw God with us as God dwelt with us. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was one further step. It is God in us. The Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? No longer was, was God just living among the people. Now God is living in the believers. Pause to think what this really means. When we say, I wish I could be in the time of Jesus, when Jesus walked and I could watch him and I could feel him and we could be friends. Well, it's far more intimate than that even, than even that right now. It is God living not just among you, not by your side, but God living in you. And that's why this baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit was such a great thing that Jesus promised. Don't do anything else. Just wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Now the Father is making his final revelation that not only is he sovereign over us, not only is he Emmanuel God with us, he is now, or he will now be God in us. And then one of the last words or the last incident that they had was in verse 6 when the disciples and Jesus came together and they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples had gone through a lot. They had seen Jesus gone through so much. Jesus had said that he would be crucified, he would be tried, arrested, and then crucified. And then he would rise again. They saw all these happen. It broke their hearts. It brought them to such great fear. I'm sure they were still traumatized at this time, having experienced all of this hardship and threats to their lives. And so they thought, well, it's now over. Jesus has risen. He is now victorious. It's now over. God, isn't this the time when you restore the kingdom back to its rightful order? And Jesus said, 
Nope. It is not the time. And you will not know that time. But instead, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You see, the disciples thought and wanted so much for all these trials and tribulations to end. They wanted to see or they expected to see Jesus victorious and therefore wiping out all evil and restoring everything to its proper order. And Jesus said to them, not so fast. The disciples basically had underestimated the extent of evil in the world and the depth of God's love for the world. Evil would not be so easily defeated. It would continue to fight in the hearts of many who resisted Jesus and who resisted, continued to resist the apostles. But God's love is so deep that he's not willing to wipe everyone out. He's not willing to just say, well, enough of all this and destroy all mankind, humankind and just save the few and restore the kingdom. God would laboriously, painstakingly reach out to one person at a time, offering them the gift of salvation and pleading with them to accept him or they could reject him. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see first the grace of God. God reaching out to people in different places. God sending his people out to many, many places all over, scattering them out to tell people that God wants to be reconciled with them. But on the other hand, we see also the extent of evil. For the first time, we see Jews and Gentiles come together, conspire together to attack the Christians. Never in all history have Jews and Gentiles come together. And yet, at the time of the Acts of the Apostles, Gentiles and Jews gathered together to lie against the Apostles and to lie against Jesus. Such was the evil. As much as the Apostles preached Jesus and the good news of God, those who rejected, persecuted them, lied against them, hurled insults at them, killed the Christians. And this was the theme of the Acts of the Apostles, that God saw how difficult the work will be. But in God's love, he would not wipe everyone out, but rather he would want the word, the good news of Christ and God's reconciliation with the world to reach to every person, to give every person a chance to come to be reconciled with God. We too often underestimate the extent of evil and the depth of God's love. How often we have wished or we have thought, well, if we could get rid of these people, life would be wonderful again, only to realize that life isn't easy still. How often we have thought if there was a revival in the church, everything bad would go. But the revival is just the start of a very long and difficult journey because of the prevalence of evil and the power of God's love, the persistence of God's love. And so if we were ever to think that all the bad will go um, because they die away, heresies will go because we've gotten rid of them, uh, bad Christians will go because we have made the decision to throw them out of the church, whatever it is that bad will go because we have had a divorce or we have... Or 
some of the people we don't like have passed away and we think that life will be happy. Reality is life will still be hard. As long as we continue to hold the truth of God in our hearts and want to speak of the truth of God, there will be resistance and there will be hard work. But what God was saying to the apostles was this, that difficult as the work will be, you will receive power to be my witnesses. That the Holy Spirit within us will be so powerful that will work in mighty ways and cause us to witness to his reconciliation. Some of that will be in words. Obviously, the apostles went everywhere in the world to preach the good news. But a lot of it was also to be in the change of lives in the persons. We will read later on on how when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, they, they shared everything that they had, they cared for the poor. Now church history, this is not recorded in the Bible, but church history tells us that the Christians were a different breed altogether. You see, in Rome, there was a tradition of getting rid of people who were deformed. So babies who were born deformed, um, lame, whatever else, blind, were brought to the graveyard and left there to die in the first few days, die of exposure. And it's been said that every night the Christians would go out into the graveyards in the dark, in the middle of the night and pick up all of these unwanted children and raise them as their own. Yeah, Christians had more handicapped children, had children who were deformed, had children who were unwanted. But the Christians were different. They went about taking everything that was unwanted. They went about picking everyone that was unwanted and brought them and cared for them. So it was a change of life. Power of the Holy Spirit not only empowers us to speak, the power of the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses by the change in our lives. Okay then, we move on. The next thing that they did as they gathered to pray, and there were 120 of them, that's about the size of our congregations. 120 people gathered, devoted themselves in prayer. But while waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they still had to do housekeeping matters. They realized that one of the twelve, one of their own, had betrayed Jesus and had killed himself. And so they needed one more to fill the twelve apostles. The apostles were like leaders of the church. And so the apostles did two things. First, they chose men or people who had journeyed with them. They had been with the disciples right from the start through, with Jesus, the calling of Jesus to his ascension. They had walked with the disciples and the disciples would have to choose people whom they could trust, they had observed and who knew Jesus, had a testimony of Jesus. But the second part was that this, they knew that despite being careful in their choices, there came a point when they could not discern. And so they said to God, God, you know the hearts of the people, you know whom you have chosen. We have chosen, exercised due diligence. We have chosen to the best of our ability. Now you choose 
because you know the hearts. And so they drew lots, and the lots fell on Matthias, and Matthias became then one of the twelve. Now that's a very interesting way of choosing leaders. Every year, we too choose our church, chooses leaders. We have the nominations committee, and then at the local conference, last local conference, we elect our leaders. But even before the local conference and the nominations committee meet, we need to start building our own leaders. Not just for that year, but years ahead. Three years ahead, four years ahead, we look for people and then we journey with them. And our criteria for choosing leaders can be the same. But first of all, we choose leaders who have journeyed with us. Journeyed with us for several years, we have experienced Christ in miraculous ways, in wonderful ways, who have personally tasted of God's goodness. Not just those who say they're Christians, but those who have walked with Christ and known what it means to bear the cross of Christ and to be loved by God. We need to have known them, to fellowship with them, to know what they're like. And then we prayerfully choose and ask the Holy Spirit to select them. Notice that these candidates did not, were not reluctant. They did not deny and say, hey, I don't want to uh, let the other fellow go. Nor did they vie for the position. When justice was not chosen, he did not fight back and say, hey, this is bias. You had weighted skills or whatever. They simply accepted the calling. This is because Christian leadership has nothing to do with prestige, but has all to do with willingness to sacrifice. Sometimes we have very cynical views of church leaders. On the one hand, we say, oh, I don't want to be a church leader, I don't want to be involved in church politics. And that's a very sad attitude. Because being a church leader doesn't mean you'll be involved in church politics. What it does mean is that church leaders must be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. You sacrifice your time. Sometimes you get the misunderstood. Sometimes you even get falsely accused. I've heard of many godly church leaders who were, who were falsely judged by others for their motives, which though poor were, had bad motives imputed on them. Church leaders will have to bear with that. But they do not. They are not the ones who want their own way and therefore I want to be a person of influence. I want to have my voice heard and therefore I be a church member leader. That's not how you become a church leader or why you become a church leader. There will be times when you may hold something strongly and yet yield to others because Christ calls us to yield to one another. And therefore, a church leader's work is a very difficult one. Why then does anyone want to be a church leader? For one simple reason, you want to serve God. And if the Holy Spirit has called you, then you step up, not to vie or fight for that place, not to shirk from that place, but to accept that position or that role and then to serve God humbly with the rest. This was what the early church began with. They searched for one more leader and they found that person first by examining his life and then by waiting on the Holy Spirit to select. But after that was done, the candidate simply accepted his role 
and did his role. This can be the way and this will be the way of our church as well. That none of our leaders will be those who fight for that position and fight for that position. But neither will they shirk from that position. They will simply avail themselves for that role. And then allow God to select. If selected, they take their place. If not selected, they take their place in a different manner of service. But each one willing to give of themselves for the work of Christ. What this calls for then is prayer. It says that the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. And I would encourage you too. One of the most important things is to pray for godly leaders. Pray for your present leaders. Pray for the one, the leaders who are being developed. Pray for the leaders who will be. That every year we will have very godly leaders who are willing, who are chosen by the Holy Spirit and who will then willingly serve the Lord. When chosen, willingly step down when the Holy Spirit tells them or tells the rest of the leadership it is time to step down, it is time to retire. What a wonderful church, powerful church that will be when we won't be where we will not be in any short supply of godly, God-appointed leaders. I believe that that is the case now and that will continue to be the case. But we all have to pray for that kind of leadership. And so this is the introduction to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the start of it. That the Spirit is something promised, someone promised to us, to all of us by God. That He will empower us to be witnesses both in word and in life through the difficult challenges of an ungodly world that will resist the ways of God both from within and from without and the selection of leaders to continue to lead this community leaders who have walked with God and who are selected specially for this purpose by God it doesn't mean then that if you're not selected to be a leader, you're unselected at all. Because there were so many other roles. And later on, we'll read about the roles of the deacons who served the poor. Those were important roles as well. God selects the people for various roles. And what we need are prayerful people who will turn to God and depend on God to do the selection. Let us pray. Father, you have promised us your Holy Spirit. We believe you. We believe that because Christ died for us, he lived among us and he died for us and he's now risen. And rather than rejecting us, you now come even closer to each of us by coming into us and living in us. We receive your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand too that our troubles will never be over. Not in this life. But instead you will give us power to be your witnesses in word and in our lives. And God, we continue to pray for godly leaders, for godly people whom you will send, whom we will develop and grow with. That God, each cohort, each year, 
we will never be short of godly leaders who will then continue to lead Agape Methodist Church in your ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, okay then. Have a blessed week ahead. Goodbye.